0: to Quantum Magazine's podcast. Each episode, we bring you stories about developments in science and mathematics. I'm Susan Vallett. If you mix and match from a crazy wardrobe, that might be a bad thing. But if species mix and match among each other, it could mean survival. In 2006, a hunter shot what he thought was a polar bear in Canada's Northwest Territory but it wasn't really a polar bear. It had brown patches on its white fur, uncharacteristically long claws, and a slightly hunched back. It was a hybrid. Its mother was a polar bear, and its father was a grizzly bear. Sure, the two species had mated in captivity before, but this was the first documented case found in the wild. Since then, it's become clear that this wasn't an isolated incident. Climate change is driving grizzlies into polar bear territory. Conservationists and others worry if it continues, interbreeding will become more common and will devastate the polar bear population. Some even want to kill the hybrids to try to save the polar bear species. But it turns out grizzlies and polar bears have been mating for hundreds of thousands of years, Polar bears have DNA from ancient grizzly bears, and grizzlies inherited genes from mating with polar bears. Evolutionary biologist Michael Arnold of the University of Georgia says people worry that such interbreeding will result in polar bears losing their beautiful white coats. But he says the bears haven't looked like their early ancestors for a long time now. He warns we need to be careful about killing off hybrids to prevent them from mixing with the more pure polar bears. In fact, Arnold says that natural mixing could help save the polar bears by helping them adapt to a rockier, less frozen habitat, the result of climate change. Arnold says the polar bears might not look exactly the same by taking on more grizzly genes, but it might help them survive. Historically, hybrids have gotten a bad rap. They're often associated with sterile or unfit offspring. Think of a mule, a maladaptive mix between a female horse and a male donkey. Naturalists have traditionally viewed hybridization in the wild as a rare dead-end fluke. If hybrids aren't viable or fertile or even common, how could they have much influence on evolution? But genomic studies are providing new insights into how species evolve, and those studies show hybrids often play a vital role in fortifying species and helping them take on useful genes from close relatives. When a species diverges, the genetic transfer from interbreeding has a hand in the emergence of adaptive traits and in the creation of new species altogether. Arnold says it's not only common for newly emerging species to reacquire genes through hybrid populations. He says it's probably the most common way that evolution proceeds, from viruses and bacteria to plants and animals. One of those animals is the jaguar, which has the signatures of hybridization. In a paper published July 2017 in the journal Science Advances, A multinational team of researchers examined the genomes of the five members of the panthera genus. These are the big cats—lions, leopards, tigers, jaguars, and snow leopards. Scientists sequenced the genomes of the jaguar and leopard and compared them with the already existing genomes of the three other species. They found more than 13,000 genes shared across all five— So they built a family tree for the species, a phylogenetic tree, showing how they all came from a common ancestor about 4.6 million years ago. Brazilian biologist Eduardo Azaric helped lead the group. He spent the past 15 years studying the jaguar. He and his colleagues looked for genes that could have been responsible for adaptations like the animal's large head and strong jaw. Those traits allowed the jaguar to munch on armored reptiles like alligator and turtle shells after an extinction event wiped out most large mammals. But Azaric's team found evidence that some of those adaptations might not have originated in the jaguar lineage at all. In one case, the team found two genes in the jaguar pointing to a past hybridization with the lion. That would have occurred after their phylogenetic paths had already diverged. Both of those genes turned out to be involved in the optic nerve formation. Azeric speculates that the genes were responsible for improved vision that the jaguars needed, but for whatever reasons, natural selection favored the lion's genes instead, so that's what the jaguars ended up with. Ezerik says it's pretty cool to be involved in an evolving field that's helping to show how species evolve. In plants, this notion has been common, that species are not as frozen in time or, or they're not as isolated as people would frequently say. In animals, this idea is fairly new, that animal species can have a more complex process of divergence. It doesn't mean that they will not eventually become completely isolated, but... This process of divergence may include periods of separation and periods of connection. And it's this on and off connection that often characterizes some of these divergences. So the genome reflects this history. And so you can actually have a mosaic of histories in the genomes of closely related species. Biologists have known since the 1930s that hybridization occurs often in plants. In fact, a pair of botanists in 1938 coined the phrase introgressive hybridization or introgression to describe the pattern of hybridization and gene flow they saw in their studies. Imagine members of two species. Let's call them A and B. They crossbreed to produce 50-50 hybrid offspring, which have equal shares of genes from each parent. Then those hybrids breed with members of species A, and their offspring breed with A as well. Many generations down the line, you end up with organisms from species A whose genomes still have a few genes from species B. Studies show the process could even yield entirely new plant species. But the animal phylogenetic tree is a tougher puzzle. In 1942, legendary German biologist Ernst Meyer proposed a biological species concept that was widely accepted by scientists for decades. The concept was based on reproductive isolation. He defined a species as a population that could not or did not breed with other populations. In the 1970s, exceptions to that rule began to emerge. But Harvard evolutionary biologist James Mallet says the science community didn't take to the new exceptions right away.
1: Although we knew about hybridization between species, which is usually rare in animals, we almost had a blinkered attitude to saying, well, this isn't going to cause any problems with our gene trees. It's not going to cause any problems with phylogeny. It's not going to be useful in adaptive evolution and we may as well discount it.
0: Mallet says today you can no longer say hybridizations don't affect reconstructions of evolutionary history, or that they weren't useful in adaptive evolution. This is especially true now that computational and genomic tools prove just how prolific introgression is, even in our own species. Since 2009, studies have revealed that around 50,000 to 60,000 years ago, some modern humans who spread out of Africa interbred with Neanderthals. They also later did so with another ancestral human group, the Denisovans. The children in both cases went on to mate with other modern humans, passing the genes they acquired down to us. Right now, researchers estimate that some populations have inherited 1 to 2 percent of their DNA from Neanderthals, and up to 6 percent of it from Denisovans. Those fractions amount to hundreds of genes. Mallet has found a large amount of gene flow between two hybridizing species of heliconius butterfly. Other scientists found a similar blurring of species lines in certain malaria-carrying mosquitoes. Other types of organisms, from fish and birds to wolves and sheep, experience their share of introgression, too. Biologist Peter Grant of Princeton University says the boundaries between species are now known to be less rigid than previously thought. He and his wife, fellow biologist Rosemary Grant, have been studying the evolution of Galapagos finches for decades— He says it's misleading that phylogenetic reconstructions depict tree-like patterns as if there's a clear barrier between the species. Evolutionary biologist Michael Arnold calls it a web of life rather than a simply forked tree of life. Harvard's James Mallet agrees looking at only some genes won't give a full picture of the animal family trees.
1: Unfortunately, it means we really do have to look at the whole genome and look at all the available evidence to understand the evolutionary relationships. And even then, it may well be that some trees are completely irrecoverable.
0: And genomic studies can't create a complete picture of the introgressive movements of genes. Whenever one species inherits genes from another, the outcome can be either deleterious, neutral, or adaptive. Natural selection tends to weed out the first, although some of the genes we've inherited from Neanderthals may be involved in disorders such as diabetes, obesity, or depression. Neutral genes can remain in the genome for very long periods of time, without having an observable effect. But beneficial introgressions particularly fascinate researchers. Take the Neanderthal and Denisovan DNA again. Those genes have allowed people to adapt to the harsh environments like the Tibetan Plateau, protecting them against the harmful effects of high altitude and low oxygen saturation. In non-locals, those can cause stroke, miscarriage, and other health problems. In Eurasian climates, variants from interbreeding with archaic humans have made skin and hair pigmentation more suitable for that environment and also conferred immunity to certain infections more likely in those areas. Mallet's butterflies, too, reflect evidence of adaptive hybridization, particularly with traits involved in mimicry and predator avoidance. Researchers had observed that although most Heliconia species have highly divergent wing coloration and patterning, some bear a striking resemblance to each other. Researchers had believed these species had independently converged on those traits, but it turns out that's only partially true. Mallet and others have found that introgression was also responsible. The same goes for Galapagos finches. Pieces of their genomes that control for features like beak size and shape were shared through hybridization. But again, parallel evolution can't explain everything. For those effects to occur, Mallet says the rate of hybridization can be, and most likely is, very small, like that among his almost entirely hybridized butterflies.
1: For most of the time, these species are perfectly good species. They have different color patterns, different behavior. And they don't like mating with each other. And we think the hybrids are probably unfit, but this occasional trickle of maybe one hybrid mating at every thousand normal matings is sufficient to kind of completely homogenize genes between the species.
0: As these patterns of introgression have become more and more predominant in the scientific literature, researchers have set out to uncover their evolutionary consequences. Michael Arnold of the University of Georgia says these go beyond the fact evolving species tends to be gradual. He says diversification, adaptation, and adaptive evolution seem to be driven quite often by genes moving around. The research done by Azerich and his team makes a compelling case for this. Around the time when the gene introgressions they analyzed occurred, the populations of all five panthera species were estimated to have declined, likely due to climate change. The smaller a population is, the greater the probability that a harmful mutation will get affixed to its genome. Perhaps the gene flow found between the different species then rescued them from extinction, providing adaptive mutations and patching deleterious ones. Arnold says that kind of large infusion of genetic mutations can cause really rapid evolution. The process doesn't end with speeding up evolution in a single species. Adaptive introgression can in turn contribute significantly to adaptive radiation. That's a process by which one species rapidly diversifies into a large variety of types. Then those types form new lineages that continue to adapt independently. You can see this in the Great Lakes of East Africa, which are home to hundreds of a type of fish that diversified in explosive bursts from common ancestors. Today, those fish, known as cichlids, vary widely in form, behavior, and ecology, thanks in large part to introgressive hybridization. Biologists will need more time to understand just how important hybridization is to evolution. Evolutionary biologist Michael Arnold wants to see more investigations like the ones with finches in the Galapagos and wolves in Yellowstone National Park. The studies would look at how much of introgression is adaptive and how much is deleterious or neutral. Researchers might also look at whether adaptive introgression affects only particular kinds of genes, but it's a tricky subject. Conservationists and others who manage the diversity of threatened species often have to weigh the value of protecting wild hybrid populations against the harm hybrids can do to established species. That's what happened in the 1950s when a pair of Northern California bait dealers wanted to expand their business. They hopped into a pickup truck and took off to central Texas and New Mexico and brought back barred tiger salamanders. The species can grow to more than double the size of California's native tiger salamander. It was great for local fishermen, but bad for the local ecosystem. The introduced salamanders mated with the natives, creating a hybrid breed that could outcompete its parent species. Soon, the California tiger salamander found itself in danger of being wiped out entirely. It remains a threatened species today. Stories like this show why conservationists have generally disqualified hybrids from protection. Hybrids are viewed as degrading the gene pools of their parent generations and posing a threat to biodiversity. But preventing hybridization altogether can also have negative repercussions. Research has shown when interbreeding between geographically neighboring species happens naturally, it can help species adapt to new threats. So while hybridization shouldn't be introduced into threatened or endangered populations artificially, it shouldn't necessarily be prevented when it happens on its own. And biologist James Mallet of Harvard says being a hybrid shouldn't rule out protection under conservation laws.
1: If you continually prevent hybridization, this could actually be a, a problem. You shouldn't worry too much about natural hybridization.
0: Because of this, many experts call the Endangered Species Act and other legislation outdated and in need of revision. Princeton evolutionary biologist Bridget von Holtz says she wants to help move the conservation discussions into the genomic era, where hybridization is more prevalent than we ever imagined. She says policies need to be more flexible and inclusive. Or in the words of Mallet, conservation is a balancing act. Michelle Yoon helped on this episode. I'm Susan Vallett. For more on this story, read Jordana Sapelowitz's full article, Interspecies Hybrids Play a Vital Role in Evolution, on our website, quantummagazine.org.